Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Backblaze Online Backup. It's a simple way to back up all your movies, photos, music, videos, and all of the data just for $5 a month. It's simple, and you can access all your data online from wherever you are. Try it absolutely free by going to backblaze.com slash cpc. That's B-A-C-K-B-L-A-Z-E dot com slash cpc. If you need me to spell cpc, man, you're in trouble. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnaud and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast with our first live recording of 2018, our seventh year as a show. Dang, uh, this bad boy was recorded yesterday afternoon at 826 Shy in Wicker Park, a really incredible organization that helps Chicago students find their creative voices. And we explain that further in this episode, and we also explain the kind of bizarre theme that you can see has given this episode its name, A Fortnite from the Heart. Now trust me, it all makes sense. If you listened to last week's show, you also know what it means, but you'll get it real quick. Now this was a real blast to record, and in addition to show vets and excellent performers Matthew Sudman, Ariel Atkins, Dan Smart, Mike Galladay, and Eileen Tull, you'll also hear some pieces written by 826 students, which are really, really great. And you get the usual music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Katie Johnston-Smith. Now, a bit of a spoiler, but for me, A Fortnight from the Heart is in a big way about giving, and 826Shy is an organization where your generosity can really help. To learn more about their mission, send them some dollars, or pick up books published by their students, visit 826Shy.org. That's 826Chi.org. I bought a book after the show yesterday called P.S. You Sound Like Someone I Can Trust, which is a collection of handwritten letters exchanged between students in two Chicago schools, 8th graders on the southwest side and 10th graders on the northwest side. It's really lovely and I think is helping me fill in some empathy gaps, which is exactly what art is for, right? I think so. So yeah, definitely check that out. They have lots of great other stuff as well. So come back next week for part two of this live show and then... As I mentioned in last week's episode, we're going daily from February 1st to 14th so we can participate in our own Fortnite from the Heart. It's going to be really cool. In the meantime, enjoy this first part of a really great afternoon of stories and songs. presents your stories this is our seventh year our first show of our seventh year as a uh storytelling podcast in chicago that's pretty cool right yeah seven years is pretty good that's as long as all of the good star trek shows and one questionable one uh anyway uh which one am i talking about i'll never tell it's voyager so <laughs> um, so we're this year we decided to, i'm so sorry uh, we decided to move to a, a pop-up model because we're a very mobile show. The show is really just the three of us and uh, a microphone and some stories. So uh, how this always starts is we play some songs that fit the theme, then we turn it over to all of you. Uh, tonight's 
today is very special because we have a lot of pieces written by the students of 826SHY as well, which is like super, super awesome. So let's give it up to 826SHY. Um, we're tonight as a fundraiser for them, and kind of fundraising is the reason we're here. So let me explain the very esoteric theme real quick. This is a bit of an info dump. Fortnite from the heart. So what is that? So two years ago, Tyler Snodgrass, who's closing out the show tonight, uh, decided to post a bunch of hair metal music videos on Facebook, one a day, February 1st through 14th, because he's like, these are Valentine's Day carols, and we should celebrate them. And I love hair metal. So I'm like, yeah, Tyler, let, I'm not supposed to swear this episode. I was the one who said, please don't swear, and then I did it. I was like, heck yeah, Tyler, I love hair metal too. Uh, I'm going to join along with you. And then I decided to do it last year, too, but I don't know if you guys pay attention to, like, the world. Last year, on February 1st, it felt really bad to, like, just be posting hair metal music videos on Facebook. Um, so I decided to also combine the music videos with, like, spotlighting local uh, nonprofit organizations that I really liked. And I would donate some money to them every day in addition to the post. And I decided I want to do that again this year and drag the Nerdalogs into it. So that's why we're here tonight. This is a kickoff for a fortnight from the heart. Because I love hair metal. And we're going to be playing a bunch of power ballads tonight, you guys. So th these are for singing along. Starting with a classic from, I think, the best band to ever come from Champaign, Illinois. I can't fight this feeling any longer.
storytellers tonight who uh, have chosen pieces that fit the theme of today, which is, again, a fortnight from the heart in some way. Uh, some storytellers will also have works from 826Shy students, which is really cool, because in case you don't know, so what we're in is like a, um, a writing center for kids that can come here after school and get help developing their creative voice, which is, it's kind of perfectly aligned with what we're doing in life. So yeah, let's embrace that. So with no further ado, please welcome our, our connection at 826Shy, a volunteer here, also a veteran of the show, Matthew Sudman. Uh, so hi everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out tonight um, to, to help support uh, 826 Chicago and everything we do here. Uh, I've been on the associate board uh, here for a few years now. Um, you know, we're all here tonight either uh, as storytellers or as audience members because we believe in, in stories and the power of stories. Uh, the power of storytelling, and that's something that at 826 Chicago uh, we're trying to uh, inspire the, the youth of Chicago, public school students in Chicago, to develop their own storytelling voices, um, whether it's through field trips or workshops or after-school tutoring. Uh, it, it all comes down to that. Um, the, the stories that you'll be hearing uh, tonight that were written by the students, uh, we have all of these books and chapbooks and other um, you know, student publications for sale uh, in the store up front. That's one of the things personally I love the most about uh, about this organization is that um, you know it's not just that students come here to get help with their writing and to develop their creative voice. We also turn them into published authors, uh, and I think just having your voice valued like that is so incredible. Um, no matter if you're on the you know a privileged school on the north side or a, or one on the south side that's maybe not uh, doesn't have all the resources as some of the other schools. So. Um, just really thankful for everybody coming out here tonight and helping support the, the mission. And, um, so I'll just be, I won't be telling a story, I'll just be reading one. This is from a collection uh, that I think was published last year uh, called uh, Love Gave Me a Migraine. Um, and this one is written by a young woman named Salome. Uh, she was an eighth grader. It's called 20 Years From Now. Uh, and she is more eloquent than I could ever hope to be. <clears throat> it's okay if I'm not the one you wake up to every morning. It's okay if I'm not the girl you always dreamed of. But I just hope that I'm the girl that you think about, you think of about 20 years from now, when you're staring at your coffee cup, disappointed, wishing that you didn't put so much milk in because now it's too creamy and light to resemble the dark brown in my eyes. I just want to be the girl you think of about 20 years from now, too scared to touch the letters of my name with your lips, because love at its purest gives you a migraine. And when I go permanently, I just hope that the air around you is too thick to breathe, because that's exactly how I felt. When I didn't think I could survive without you, and when I couldn't breathe because I couldn't survive without you, and that was your fault, when you set me to drown in my own tears. For being here tonight and, and helping give students like Salome a, a chance to express her voice. Thank you, Matthew. Like, I don't know. I don't need it. I, I think, unfortunately, our society has a way of undervaluing uh, youth voices, even just like not respecting them because, oh, they're young. They don't know anything. And I mean, it's true that in a way, you know, the reasoning and their world experience hasn't developed the way that older folks has, but their emotions are just as valid, right? And so, like, great job for A26 for helping them to channel those into writing that, yeah, that's better than anything I could do. Like, you guys have heard me tell stories a lot, and they're garbage compared to that. So, uh, thank you, Matthew. Let's kick, uh, let's keep things going with an incredible uh, storyteller and poet. Uh, she runs the, uh, oh, I can't even say the name of the show that sponsors the zine you do, because it's got a bad word in it. Uh, she, she runs a zine called The Skid Mark for another pop-up show in Chicago that is also a great comedy institution, and she is just so so, so talented and great. Please welcome Ariel Atkin. All right, y'all. This one's a work in progress, so bear with me. Uh, this is called My Infinity Goblet. 
Uh, I also run uh, a food drive, if anybody's ever um, cared about those. But it's called The Drive, and our next show is on January 26th at um, Pinwheel Records in Pilsen, if you guys ever want to go or if you want to go next Friday. So um, you should look that up. It's called The Drive for the Homeless, so thanks. All right, cool. I'm going to start now. Um, (laughs) My Infinity Gauntlet. In a corner of my comic book store, hiding from the attention and smell of Yu-Gi-Oh players, <laughs> I'm fervently reading Marvel's 1991 Starlin event, the Infinity Gauntlet. I'm in the fish- fifth issue when our favorite artificially created man of gold, Adam Warlock, reveals to Thanos, after his crushing defeat, his greatest weakness. Warlock states, Three times you have triumphed over incredible odds to gain the ends you desire, and three times you have subconsciously supplied the means to your defeat. Thanos never wins. Not because Warlock is unstoppable, or because the Avengers never give up. It's because he has never truly believed that he can. He's the master of subconscious self-sabotage. Y'all hear that irritating ring? That's the sound of comic book nerds all over the world with too much time on their hands screaming, The 90s were too abstract at the top of their lungs. (laughs) Ignore them. They don't get it. Here's why. Second grade, a teacher notices that I can do all of the math in my head. Two months into the school year, I'm ahead of the lessons and have to be given extra quizzes to keep me busy. One late morning, she calls me to her desk. I'm told that I will be going to the advanced math class for the rest of the year. One month later, the advanced math teacher sends me back to my original class with a note that says... Ariel stopped doing her homework, rarely shows up with her book, and talks during lessons. In my standard class, I consistently turn in B-level work. The excitement for math head I had before is gone. This happens again in the fourth and sixth grade until the teachers finally give up on me. Around nine, I learn what self-hatred is. At 12, I have violent daydreams of my death. By 16, they are visions of suicide. I don't know the meaning of suicidal ideations, but I know that something is wrong. A cousin shoots herself in the head with a gun she bought out of fear. She struggled with bipolar disorder, but everyone called her touched. My mother tells me that she lived alone in her million-dollar house and often had fits. She used to ask family to stay with her when she felt afraid, but no one wanted to walk down her never-ending wallpapered halls lined with mirrors that reflected nothing. We visit the house after she passes. I can't stop staring at the stain on the love seat. It's the closest I've come to seeing death. In the car, I ask my mother what will happen to her. Will she go to heaven? Will she rest? No, baby, she says without looking at me. You can't take from God what is his. I don't know what it means to be touched, but I overhear conversations around my grandmother's TV that tells me it's a made-up white people's disease. Black people have suffered too long to struggle with the mind. God is the only healing we need. He will lead us to glory in the end. Nearly every day of my life, I've wanted to die. At every goal I set, I expect to fail. Half-jokingly, I tell my friends that I don't want to make it to 40. My therapist tells me that my illness doesn't define me, but I don't hear her over the sound of my subconscious at war with my heart. She can't save me. Sometimes I imagine that someone out there could, that life could be like the movies and I can ride out of the battle in the arms of a knight in the sunset and a happy ending. Senior year of college, I finish, or I find Bukowski in the Harold Washington Library. He tells me, nobody can save you but yourself. Warlock told Thanos, three times you have subconsciously supplied the means to your own defeat. I was told to write lists of tasks to give me order and reason to feel accomplished by the end of the day. So I write out 20 bullets of all the things I need to do, kick myself when I don't get through it and give up before I can make it a habit. I tell my boyfriend at brunch that I'll never reach my goals. He says I beat myself up too much, and I set myself up for failure. I take a sip of my beer and scoff. Thanos left the universe to live in solitude and get himself together. To better understand himself and his place in the cosmic void, he worked on a farm. I isolated myself from my friends for two years, stopped visiting home, overworked, fought with my brother to the point that he couldn't even look me in the eye, dumped my two-year partner, uh on his birthday in my bedroom after he spent $300 on a plane ticket to come and see me, then left him alone with his tears to hang out with a person I thought I had fallen in love with, obsessed over that man for a year, 
sent him wild messages in my mania, wrote nearly 100 poems about him, slept with an embarrassingly high number of people, I'm so sorry, children that are listening to this podcast, (laughs) that I met online, then tried to kill myself with a steak knife and running cold water on my bathroom floor. Not quite the same as a farm, but similar. Thanos fell in love with death and conquered the universe to impress her. I fell in love with death and and a stained love seat. I promised her my sacrifice. Impatiently, she waits. As long as I want to die, I will never win. I will never publish a book. I will never go to grad school. I'll never make it to 40. I'm a master saboteur like Thanos. I've acquired my infinity gauntlet dozens of times, only to be defeated in the end by my own, over, by my own overgrown ego. But I want to reach greatness. I want to believe in the potential that people seem to think I have. I want to believe in the power that I wield. So I've started writing lists with five small tasks a day. Brush and floss, that's one. Write something. Bathe. Eat at minimum two meals. Read for one hour. The difficulty of the tasks change depending on my energy. High days call for tasks like pay this bill, publish the zine, organize the bookshelves by author and publication date. Low days are simpler. Get out of the house for minimum five minutes, eat a snack, answer a text message. These are tasks I know I can complete, and eventually, hopefully, I can get to the big stuff. I'm aware now and actively trying to defeat myself to save myself. Even Thanos, though defeated, accomplished so much. He saved Adam Warlock from his evil future self. He acquired the Infinity Gems and assembled the Infinity Gauntlet. He started the Infinity War, and he even punched his own son through a planet. (laughs) He didn't accomplish his ultimate goal, total destruction of everything, but he got darn close, and he never stops trying. He once had dimensional domination in his grasp, and then he squandered it and crumpled at the feet of a vengeful grandchild. At the same time, Thanos is the villain of his story, so he's supposed to lose. Here's hoping I come out the hero in mine. With a really touching piece and some great lesson on early 90s Marvel comics, if you guys want to do some reading before the next Avengers movie comes out. Uh, so, also, Ariel made a great point about being involved with a lot of nonprofit work herself, like her food drive. So, most of the people here tonight uh, are here because they responded to a thread that I posted last month asking for uh, people's favorite nonprofits and ones that they work with. So, as part of the Fortnite this year, I'm going to be making a, a small donation to everyone's uh, cause uh, because I think that's a nice thing to do. And also, all the money that you guys either have paid or, or will pay, hopefully, on the way out goes to 826. So, thank you all for helping uh, a really great cause, too. So, one of the gentlemen who's here tonight uh, is, um, he recommended this place to me, although it was definitely already on my radar. Also, he does a lot of work with one of my other very favorite nonprofits in the Town, which involves uh, reading and dogs, which is just a great combination. Um, he's here to probably read some poetry. Mr. Dan Smart. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Eric. Um, so, yes, <coughs> love, love poems, right? Like, that's horrible. Like, what could be, what could, what could be harder? Um, if, I, if I have any, any, any advice for, for my young fellow poets uh, who may be listening later or, or are in, or in the audience now, I would say that it's a good idea to, you know, try to write around the the topic of love because it's if you I I as you'll see in a second I kind of try to do this sometimes where I'm just like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say what this means to me and the more you try to say what it means to you the more you end up with your like head in a like a tree hole or something <laughs> so, it's a good, if it, so if it if it drifts if if some of these drift towards more what you associate with love, so much the better, because it's not really the kind of thing that I don't think it's super easy to grab a hold of, and it's probably we're probably not supposed to anyway. Um, and I do think that, if anything, I will start with my young friend, grade four, Quinn, who, as everyone's been saying already, 
I think just did a much better job than, <laughs> than I'm about to with his, with his description of love. So this is called Who Wants Love by Quinn, grade four. Love is a great thing because it's made out of hearts and beauty and handsomeness and awesomeness. And pow, <laughs> love goes slow. Love is ridiculous. Love is fast like a pony with a wizard costume on and a green mustache. <laughs> love is sad. Love is crazy. Love is around the world. Love's a deck of cards. Family love is happy and cool. Boyfriend and girlfriend love is yucky and nasty. <laughs> when it comes to love, a man has to have a job, a good diploma, and has to have an eight-pack. And he has to cook and has to look handsome. He probably has to be in his 30s. So I, I, I got one of those. Okay, okay. So that, that it's all downhill from there, obviously. Um, so here's my own attempts at matching Quinn's uh, eloquence and, and just Satori-like insight into the subject of love. Um, this first poem is called On and On and On. Passion comes on loud and sloppy and sudden. It's something that just happens, like gridlock, a six-year-old kid's birthday party, or the mumps. But love, at its quietest, comes across more like fidelity. No glitter, not at all grandstanding. Simple and slender as a promise when it's whispered. Something you don't touch but only catch sidelong glimpses of. Too steadfast and unremarkable to be called a miracle. Like July fireflies in the much more considerable moments between their flashes. Or a dusty dented attic box a little too full of Christmas ornaments to bother opening. It sounds like beautiful antique wind chimes hung up in the distant window of a closed shop. It smells like exotic garden flowers blooming at two o'clock in the morning when everyone's at home in their beds, bent around a pillow, dead asleep since 10. Uh, this next poem I'm gonna read for you guys is, uh, I assure you, uh, PC, but it's called My Libido and it, it, it Kind of inspired by days like yesterday, um, which was a, a very nice day. And you know how when it's a nice day, you, you, get, you get certain energies and appetites. And it's, it's very strange the, the places we redirect these appetites. Um, so this is my libido. Whenever it's sunny, I just get this insatiable drive to go shopping. <laughs> to browse and to notice and caress and hold and purchase all kinds of impossible things and array them in neat rows on shelves or display them with pride and slow aplomb across this beautiful body of mine. When it's not so nice out, I still get the same itch to see and to touch and to buy a bunch of stuff. But those days I go straight home and fling it all as hard and as fast as I possibly can into an already very full closet. <laughs> um, I'm going to read a poem for you called um, this is interesting called Omnia Vincent Amor any Latin scholars love conquers all. yes love conquers all or does it <laughs> I just think that that's kind of a strange thing to say when you think about it nice as it sounds um, here's why <laughs> the way I figure it the conquerors had it backwards. True love has never made anything happen. It utterly refuses to conquer. Love does not do work. It only takes credit. It's the jealous, frozen, lusty moon, not the incandescent sun that lights it. Love doesn't permit things or divulge its long-term plans. In practice, the real thing is more like a temporary, willful, and difficult withholding 
of apathy, of prejudice, of revenge. Only love is lazier than that. It's never cleared a forest of formidable oak trees. It's more like the little breeze that goes out gossiping in the grass of idle meadows. It's never held a job, never plugged in a vacuum, never transformed anyone's car into a Subaru. (laughs) That's because love isn't industrious. Love is the blissfully indiscriminate consumer. It's never satisfied. It can't be filled up. And even though we feel it sometimes sloshing around inside us, it's all Diet Coke and zebra cakes and chocolate milk and Jolly Ranchers. It takes up some space, but it's worth less than it costs, and it only makes us hungrier. Um, This next poem is called Not Yet Fathomed, and it is a bit more more serious. Um, It's quick, though, and it uh, uses our beautiful city as as some backdrop and inspiration. Not yet fathomed. This is it. It's almost nightfall, and I'm lost on the frayed shore of this huge secret city. It's freezing. The corroded dark seawall is wind-trembling and scum-wrecked. But still, I can't walk. I can't think. I'm just rusted. Transfixed here by numberless wave crests, urgent tugging on the surface of the lake. Like razored teeth biting and consuming all the sky like hordes of startled insects darting panic from their hive, like this humiliating chorus of knife-silver laughter clanging out each of the endless and formidable ways I don't love you, which one at a time flicker, die, and are subsumed by the vast, mute expanse that produced them, by the deep and immovable way that I do. Uh, one or two more quick ones for you here. Um, uh, um, this one's called Ultimate Fantasy, um, and ultimate in, in several different senses of the word ultimate, um, but you'll see. Hair swept up and back in a dizzying cloud, breasts newly freed, now swinging limply apart overhead in the mouth-watering lowlight that's draping the Egyptian cotton-sheeted bed, and what happens next? You'll take your time honing, spend your nights cleaning, protecting, and sharpening for use as a weapon against the frittered away to flatlining remainder of your life. Implausibly, no time really feels like the first time you dream this. And the last time you do, from some bed you don't own, it'll only make sense to you that once you still could, and now can't, and soon won't. But you'll still do your best to enjoy lying back and reenacting the sensation of picturing yourself knowing just how to imagine having felt in that old dream purchase bed from time to time when the mood strikes and then never does again. Thank you, guys. Like Eric said, I'm I'm a writer and editor and involved, uh, I've been involved in editing a little bit, um, some of the books here at 826 Shy, which has been great. Um, I also have a blog called Rhythm is the Instrument, uh, rhythmistheinstrument.com, that I publish poems on all the time, so you can check me out. Um, Thanks to Nerdalogs, and thanks to 826 Shy, and thanks to everyone who has read and will read. Um, This is great. So one last poem for you. This is called Future Perfect Progressive. Although someday we'll say, love is what all this will have been for. It doesn't take the load off. It still can't be the goal. After all, it's not like God is some renewable resource. You and I, we're old enough by now, to know black won't begin to describe it, nor empty. Heaven knows the immaculate stars don't just explode. They leave behind precisely unfillable holes. Oh, my God. So good. Yeah, cool. 
Oh, man. Uh, that was so great. I think you're totally right that, like, and it's kind of one of the curses of the human condition that the more we try to do a very specific something, the more we're likely to fail at doing that something. I think that's true in a lot of ways. Although, counterpoint to your argument about addressing love in poetry, have you heard the song The Warrior by Patti Smith and Scandal? <laughs> Shooting down the walls of heartache, bang, bang, I am the warrior. Uh, the best line ever written is in that song. It's, your eyes touch me physically. How else would they touch something that... Oh, anyway. I'm not going to do my stand-up act now. Come down the street, see me at Coles afterwards for my type 5, guys. Um, so, coming up next to the stage, old friend of the show and of mine. I knew this dude in the south suburbs. It's always a thrill when he is here. Please welcome Mike Galladay. So, notice we kind of got a Guardians of Galaxy vibe going on. I got the blue shirt. The White has the Guardian's hat. He talked about the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> nah. Um, so, yeah. Um, odd thing about me. I am terrified of statues. <laughs> like, they heebie the crap out of my genius. It's just really weird. That's not important now, but it will be in a few minutes. So, a couple years ago, I was uh, in a new relationship. And me and my then-girlfriend decided to go to the Chicago... History Museum. They were doing an exhibit on the Ebony Jet magazine. If you don't know, that's um, an old uh, magazine. It's been around for about 72, 73 years in Chicago. It's uh, basically like an African-American lifestyle magazine. It has a lot to do with like uh, this fashion and things like that. So anyway, we go to the museum and we're having a pretty good day, learning some really cool stuff about Chicago and some really dark stuff about Chicago. And then we get to the exhibit. Now, Outside of the exhibit, there's like three immaculately, immaculately dressed mannequins. And they're like underlit in this weird, like sinister way. But that's probably just my opinion because, you know, <laughs> statues. Um, so we're out there and she's like, hey, you know, if you don't want to go in there, you don't have to. I had to. Well, man, this is a new relationship. I have to do this. So. We go in, and, and I didn't know how many mannequins were going to be in there. <laughs> so we go into the exhibit, and in the first room, there's this very long room, and in the middle of the room is a long stage with roughly, let's say, 30 mannequins. <laughs> and this old, unfamiliar, this old familiar feeling of mine that I have had in me since about, oh, five, it's welling back up like, oh these things and I'm just like you can do this you got it man it can't get any worse so we go through this whole room and then we go into a bigger room this one has mannequins in every part of the room and we're in the middle and she's like you good I'm like outwardly I'm like yeah I'm good internally I'm like Oh no. I'm surrounded. And, the, and my, my heart is like racing, and I'm just thinking, like, if these things come to life, there's no way to escape. And I'm fully aware as a 30 year old man at the time that this is an insane thought. These are mannequins, they've been here for a lot longer than I have in this room there's nothing that's going to happen but I am still internally losing my mind <laughs> and we keep going through the exhibit and we get towards the end and she's like that was really cool and I'm like yeah I have no idea what we even learned <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I gotta tell you, we almost like it was on the short list. We almost played the song for Mannequin, and I'm really glad we didn't for your sake. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, Starship. Uh, I won't sing that one. 
But man, they are they are like kind of terrifying, like that lifelessness. So why was that part of the exhibit? Like you really don't know? Like, well, th- that was the entire exhibit. That was it. Yeah, that okay. was like stuff that mm-hmm. you could like read to learn more about the magazine. But I don't know. Was it like this, fashion based, or you didn't even it was register like that? Okay, and there was a lot of about the magazine. But yeah. I don't know any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like losing yeah. my mind. Well, you gotta plan your exit strategy, right? Like that's that's first that's thing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta get out of here somewhere. <laughs> oh like, my I god! I have a massive headache by the end of it. Children who are listening, beware of mannequins. You never know when they're gonna come. <laughs> Marco took that really to heart. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We have one more storyteller this half, and we're very fortunate to have her here in a literal way because she kind of just got off of a dream vacation that was extended an extra week because the airline canceled her flight back from Europe to America. Uh, she is an incredibly talented performer. You may know her from her one-woman show about Harrison Ford that toured around the city or just from other events around. Uh, Sappho Salon is a good one. Please welcome Eileen Tall. Uh, yeah, I, I was recently trapped in Paris. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I never thought I would be so happy to get back to America in 2018, <laughs> but I was. Um, so I first have um, a, a piece to read from you uh, that I'm excited to share uh, by Claire, grade five. It's called Feeling Trapped, Now Gone, which I picked this, I think, a couple days ago, but now the title is, is so, uh, personal to me. But this is Feeling Trapped, Now Gone. Before I knew how to explore... I used to be trapped. Before I knew to love, I used to hate. Unfinding in life what there is to appreciate, it seems hard now. Unfinding what is here, when I lived in constant fear. Before I learned to steer, I used to hide what was on the inside. Now I explore, now I love, but that old me will never be lost. That cold winter will never defrost. That's clear. I try my hand at poetry a lot, and I, uh, I started writing poetry when I was um, about 11 or 12, and I was like, I am so good at writing poetry. <laughs> and I since recently found those notebooks, and my brothers and I did uh, dramatic readings of like my dramatic poetry, where I was like, the mirror shatters when I look at it, the pieces like float away from me. <laughs> it was a lot. So Claire is is uh, is really killing the game. Um, so this is a this is a story uh, that I've written, and yeah, here we go. It is 4 a.m. and the sun is far from up, but here I am, awake and gulping down coffee with excitement and purpose. I grab my backpack, slip into my Uber, and prepare to spend the next 16 hours working as an election coordinator. I have been assigned outside of my ward, which I'm a little bitter about as my apartment building is my official polling <laughs> place. I usually vote in my slippers. It's the dream. <laughs> so I'm, uh, it's a little bit of a grumpy trek to a northwest neighborhood in Chicago I have been assigned to. In the car, I unfold the photo that I had tucked into my purse before I left. It's of Emily, excitedly holding a pillow emblazoned with, A woman's place is in the White House. It was an early birthday present for her, and this is one of the last pictures taken of her before she died suddenly, two months before. Emily was such a huge fan of her presidential candidate and mine, so much so that Hillary Clinton was mentioned in Emily's obituary alongside the names of all of the rest of our family. As an election coordinator, I can't do any campaigning or show any bias on this day, so I fold up the picture and tuck it back into my purse, just to keep it with me just so she can be here today. And I am so excited. I have never been a part of, a, of, an, of such an historical political event. I've never really been a part of any political event other than visiting and really loving the Hall of Presidents at Disney World. Up until the past few years, I have not considered myself to be a very political person or to be civically engaged at all. I'd grown up in a fairly conservative part of the country in a fairly conservative family with a limited perspective on the world. I learned that getting along with everyone is your highest priority. So if something uncomfortable comes up in conversation, you just change the subject. 
If someone hates a certain group of people based on uh, race, gender, or sexual orientation, it's just part of their belief system, and you should just pay a little attention, change the subject, and move on. Don't rock the boat. Don't care too much. It's only politics. Besides, I've always thought, it's just a lot of pageantry and preening. But at the end of the day, people are good, and they want the best for everyone, even politicians. All of this political drama with the election, it's all just for show, and it's not like anything will really change anyway, I said. I arrive at my polling venue an hour before voting opens up. Now, I won't, because I can't, reveal too many secrets about the Illinois electoral process, only that it is a very long, hard, and harrowing day of work. Thank your poll workers early and often. As my shift tiptoes forward, I am on a social media lockdown. I'm unable to keep tabs on how the actual election is going. I'm too busy checking people in or registering first-time voters, many of them non-white or young people or newly minted citizens. I process over a 1,000 people in my assigned district when all is said and done. And for the first time, I feel like I'm actually making a difference for my country, contributing in a real way helping people access their right to vote, to share their voice, and work towards a bright and wonderful future for all Americans that begins tomorrow. I am nothing if not wildly idealistic, like a wide-eyed protagonist in a Frank Capra movie. I step out of my polling site around 9 p.m., and it's as if the sun had never risen at all that day, and I open up my phone to start to catch up on all of the good news, all of the real-time election numbers. And I start scrolling through my phone at the bus stop, and my enthusiasm and excitement drops to the pit of my stomach, where it seems to have remained for over a year. And there is dread, and there is disbelief. There is fury and confusion. I try to go to sleep that night, but I feel too sick and nauseous and afraid. And the results of this election not only were disappointing to me in terms of the winner and the loser, even if my fully qualified and presidential uh, candidate had won, the hate and vitriol and divisiveness of the preceding months and following months have revealed that our country is in a deep state of disarray and chaos and that it always has been, that we are so unfathomably divided and then after the election, there was the increase in hate crimes, many of which invoked the name of the president-elect. There were safety pins, which came and went. There were marches and protests. There will be more marches and protests. There is the Me Too campaign, and there is the building backlash against it. And every day seems to usher in a new disaster, continuing to reveal in same and repetitive ways that the person who was elected president is... Simply put, a racist, misogynistic, bigoted pile of disgusting trash with his finger on the doomsday button. And when I start thinking about that, I get a little overwhelmed. And I want to take a very long nap or flee the country or something. But I can't. We can't do that. It's easy to want to disengage. But I feel that I can't. I have privileges that give me voice access and platforms to speak. And I think about Emily, and I feel like I have to speak twice as loud for her. So I will try to wake up early every day, not as early as 4 a.m., certainly, but I will try to do good and put good into this world. I will try to disrupt, and I will call my reps. I will march. I will put my money where my mouth is. I will try to make art that this current president hates. And I will keep going. I won't shut down like a government in turmoil. And we will keep fighting. Thank you. Eileen actually did our first show uh, after the election. Do you remember that? It was at uh, the Steppenwolf. Yeah. And it was such a weird, like, cathartic... It was great. Oh, such a... Yeah, that was like the first time I had felt like good <laughs> in about 10, 12 days.
But it's not just 80s bands that do power ballads. There's artists today still keeping them alive. Isn't that right, Katie? That's right. This next song is from an artist who uh, recently released a documentary on Netflix that I cried during the entirety of, uh, Lady Gaga. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't the Ray Kroc one? I don't know who that is. (laughs) That's a McDonald's guy. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) This is from uh, Joanne, which is, I think, one of the best albums of 2016. I confess I'm lost in the age of the social On our knees take a test To be loving and grateful Shots were fired on the street By the church where we used to meet Angel down, angel down It's a trial, foolish and weak, oh, oh, I'd rather save an angel down. I'm a believer, it's chaos, where are leaders, oh, oh, I'd rather save an angel down. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.